Welcome to Tripping Over the Barrel, a series that highlights the unique personalities within the oil and gas industry and the stories they have to share with your hosts and lead storytellers, Tilo and Dr. Funkenstein. Tim, did you read Stephen's answers that we uh, sent to the prep questions? I did. I was uh, going through them. Some of them were kind of long. We're going to have to keep him uh, keep him retracted a little bit. Did, do you think you know what stood out to me, though? The trip to Love Field? Oh, we'll get into that. The fact that this guy is a Yankees fan. Oh, oh, I saw that. <laughs> I, I need to know how that happened, Stephen, before you get into anything else. And I get it's a big, fancy, famous, successful international organization. How does somebody from the Toops family in Louisiana become a diehard New York Yankees fan? Uh, it's it's actually uh, a family tradition. Um, you know, being being from New Orleans, uh, we don't have a professional baseball team. Um, and so, you know, I grew up and had been a lifelong LSU fan. As a matter of fact, attended school there. Um, and when... Uh, you know, it came time to picking a, a baseball team, I guess, you know, I, I grew up in my dad's 72 Nova listening to Yankees games on AM radio when they used to be broadcast nationally. And, you know, listen to Reggie, Reggie Jackson and yeah. uh, Louisiana lightning, Ron Guidry and, and all those guys. And I have literally since that time been a lifelong Yankees fan through some good times and through some not so good times. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, it's, it's, I love that. And I think there's pockets really all throughout the U S right. That I know yeah. that George Steinbrenner had some relationship with, with Iowa and every Yankees game is projected on the radio in yeah. Iowa at, at full blast. So mm-hmm. you got that. You've also got Mickey Mantles from Oklahoma, right? So you've yeah. kind of got some pockets down there. Um, but it's, it's random and you know, I'm not going to hold it against you because I generally do like you as a person. <laughs> as so as I won't hold your Red Sox fandom against you. <laughs> well, he had to be a Red Sox fan. My dad's actually a Yankees fan, though, so I could have I could have stuck with that. But he was kind enough to let me grow up in Northern New England and actually be you know root for the home team. So there you go. <laughs> at least we did that. But anyways, folks, we got Stephen Toops on, CEO of Cleargistics. Um, really good guy. He's been on the podcast circuit um, and is kind of one of the uh, emerging guys, I would say, in the energy tech startup scene. So Stephen, why don't you give us a little bit of your background coming from Louisiana? You know, I think working more on the operation side of the business, the mm-hmm. finance side, and then swinging over to the energy tech side and then kind of ease us into what Cleargistics is all about. Yeah. So I uh, appreciate you guys uh, having me on. Uh, I appreciate the, the time, the forum, and uh, looking forward to chatting with you guys. Um, just kind of by way of introduction, I'm a, I'm a CPA by training. Um, I worked at one of the national accounting firms, what is now PricewaterhouseCoopers, uh, out of the New Orleans office for about seven years after I graduated from LSU. Uh, I had a lot of oil and gas uh, and oil and gas related clients uh, at that time. Um, and then kind of spent some time kind of outside of the industry, uh, was reacclimated to it, uh, doing a, uh, project for a, uh, a group of investors out of Louisiana that had bought an oil field service company in Midland, Texas. Was these uh, private equity guys? Uh, yeah, more of a group of high net worth individuals. Um, and they bought this, uh, company in 2013. Um, they kind of weren't sure things were being 
done right and uh, had, had a bunch of questions that they really couldn't get answers to. And so they, they parachuted me into Midland as the company's first CFO um, and uh, you know, quickly found, uh, as I will say, lots of opportunity. <laughs> And uh, I, I became for uh, a few years, wound up spending four and a half years at the company. Um, and for the first couple of years of that, I was, I was a Midland resident. I left my house and drove to the New Orleans airport on Monday mornings, uh, worked in Midland Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, and then flew home Thursday night and did it all again the next weekend. So I've got some, uh, some real West Texas dust uh, in my boots. How long did you make that cycle? Uh, two years. I did that for two years. And then wow. after, after, after the two years, I, I was able to get stuff straightened out and I got somebody there, I got somebody trained. And then I would only go to Midland about once or twice a month, but for two years solid, it was, yeah, it was pretty much every day. Man, I got you, you got some uh, Southwest airlines points. built up, I, did. Didn't you? I, I had at one <laughs> point in time, I had a million Southwest miles in my oh, I'm I jealous. still have, I still have probably about 750,000 of them, but uh, yeah, I had a million Southwest points. <laughs> you know, that was, that was worth a lot more pre COVID because you could trade it in for other things, right? Yes. Like, like Amazon gift cards and stuff. And I remember during COVID, you know, everybody's money was tight. If you're in sales yep. in, in oil and gas, when you have negative oil prices. So I remember saying, you know, I think I've got like 175,000 Southwest points. I'm going to cash those in for some Amazon on gift cards mm -hmm. buy some toilet paper see if it can come <laughs> yeah, yeah. in five or six weeks and they're like southwest airlines has suspended the ability to remove yes. points from the system and into yep. anything else so yeah. i don't know if it's back now no one knows yeah. how much points are worth anymore yeah, how much are they worth I mean, if you can fly that said that that they were devaluing them so i haven't i just read yeah. the headline i haven't had a chance to read the article yet I mean, for, for me, you know, family of five, we've, we've already started. And of course my son is now over two, so <laughs> we're, we're too old to get him on for free, yeah. but I mean, it's, it's a lifesaver to be able to book a one way to, oh, yeah. you know, wherever Boston or Baltimore Philly yeah. to see family for, you know, to, to get that covered basically. Yeah. Right. It really, really kind of helps, but yeah. um, no, I, I like that. I mean, Midland's one of those places to me where, I think because I read that book, Friday Night Lights, in yeah. the early 90s, mm -hmm. I always had this really negative connotation of Midland because, yeah. uh, what was it, Bissinger, right? He, he just really kind of crapped all over it and made it yeah. sound racist and, yep. and real kind of country bumpkin. So then going there, you know, for the first time for me in 2012, 2013, um, I found the people to be very welcome and accommodating yeah. there to be a lot of different diverse food options and, and really kind of a neat place. So now I, I don't dread my trips. It's certainly different than any other oil field place that I go to yeah. um, where there's corporate headquarters, but interesting place. Yeah. I, I, I really, really enjoyed my time in Midland. I, I met a bunch of great folks, still friends to this day. Um, it is just such a, it's a, it's such a centric place. And you know, I, I, I would tell people that if, you know, if you're flipping hamburgers at, at Wendy's, you work in the old, in Midland, you work in the old business. Oh yeah, exactly, um, exactly. Everybody, one of my, one of my favorite Midland stories is, so one of the first times I went there was in 2000, mid 2014. And, uh, you know, oil was $100. And I walked into one of my favorite Mexican places down there, a place named Cheetos, which is on the loop. And there was a subway next door. And there was a sign written in like the glass marker as to how much they were paying people to start off making sandwiches in Midland, Texas. 
and it was $20 an hour. <laughs> oh, yeah, crazy. Man. And I went like, oh my goodness gracious, I'm in the wrong business. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, that's one of the things I wanted to ask you about. So I'm looking at, you know, I look at your history and I, and you told the timing of when you started with these guys, what, 2013, 2014. Yep. Midland, Texas, 2014, 15, that's kind of like the, you know, it hit the craziest time oh, yeah. right then. Yeah. But you're still going out there weekly in 16 yep. and 17, I guess, or yeah. fairly regularly. What's the compare, you know, the beginning of that run to the end? What was, how did it change in Midland? Yeah, good. That's a, that's a really good question. So when I first started going out there, it was beyond crazy. Um, and it was one of those situations where the service companies had a lot of power in the service company operator kind of dynamic. And, you know, I mean, we had, we were in the workover business and it was, it was not uncommon for the same rig to be working in the same field, you know, every day of the week um, for the same operator. Um, and that just, you know, that was such a luxury. When I would, when I would drive in on, you know, Monday morning and I would drive into the yard and if I would see, you know, we had 21 polling units. If I would see one or two polling units in the yard, I would immediately go run inside and go, what the heck is going on? <laughs> <laughs> um, that is not the case these days. <laughs> um, but, you know, we went from that to, I, I had a guy call me once and he was looking, he was looking to do a land deal. And, you know, I said, you know, I'd be happy to take a look at it. And so he sent me a little prospectus. And this deal literally was based on oil being $95 a barrel. Whoa. Nice. And I called him back and I said, I said, have you looked at a long-term WTI chart? <laughs> I said, and do you know how much of time is a percentage in history oil has been over $95? Well, Stephen, this is different. This is, you know, he's kind of giving me all this macro stuff. And it's like, no. <laughs> You haven't spent enough time around this business. <laughs> Oof. So he didn't get the money he was looking for. He did not. He did not. He did not. So, but Mid Midland is, you know, it's a, it's an interesting bag too because it is at once met a lot of great people, and on the other side, you kind of got to know the right people. Um, you know, there's there is definite benefit to. Uh, knowing the right folks and, you know, eating breakfast in the right places and lunch in the right places and dinner in the right places and going to the bar at the right times and stuff <laughs> like that. So, uh, yeah, I'm not very familiar with all the haunts out there. Yeah. I, I just thinking of how crazy it was. I was staying at a, at one of the hotels kind of on the West side of Midland and I was talking to the bartender and he said, he said basically mid 2015, that's when it really kind of really took cratered but he said mm -hmm. before then he was from california from fresno i think and he they basically hired him out of fresno to come be a bartender at a hotel bar in in midland and he's making pretty good money but he said just about once or twice a week he would be offered a job from some service company yeah. paying crazy money yeah, really well yes. i mean pay yes. crazy crazy money and so i started talking to people and, and they're saying you know that they're paying $20 an hour at Wendy's to flip burgers, but mm -hmm. that's because in about three months, once that guy's done flipping burgers or he's, he's there, he's going to be poached to go mm -hmm. work in the field for, you know, well, significantly more than 20 bucks an hour. Yep. 
Yeah, so I mean, I, it's a, it's a, I, I have the ultimate respect for the guys literally out in the field every day. It is hard work. Um, those guys earn, earn their pay. Uh, it is hard, dirty, dusty, um, dangerous, dangerous yeah. um, work. And I have Hot. nothing but respect. Yeah. I would, I would melt inside oh, I, I mean, FRs during the middle of the summertime. I mean, I sweat a lot. I, I would literally just melt. No, that why do you think Colin likes to be in uh, air conditioned digital wildcatter <laughs> studios right. instead of making all that money, you know, <laughs> but, lowering but, uh, wireline? Steven, so. you grew up in South Louisiana. I mean, you've got to be used to hot and sticky, at least in Midland. It's just yeah, hot, hot and, and dusty, right? Yeah, hot and sticky is okay. Um, hot and sticky, and I've got FR coveralls on, would not, would not be a good look for me. <laughs> so, the, the whole clear justics thing. So, I mean, this to me is one of those, is one of those things that it is just such a logical and well thought out solution. And I think it's become really competitive over the last couple of years with new players popping up mm-hmm. seemingly everywhere you look where you've got um, either selling to the operator to push, you know, electronic ticketing to the field service company, or even just going, I think in your case, to the oil field service company themselves, have them enter their tickets and really speed up that, um, you know, time to um, effectively getting paid. So yep. can you talk through kind of the thesis of the company and, and how sure. Cleargistics approaches the market? Sure. Uh, good, good question. Thank you. We, uh, you know, so I got the idea for Cleargistics working in Midland because I, I saw firsthand, experienced firsthand, the problems with paper and the problems, you know, with paper used to document transactions. Um, And I actually looked for something that I thought our folks could use. Um, And I had a couple of different criteria in my head about what a solution needed to be and what it needed to look like and how it needed to work. Um, The first thing is, you know, you you go in any service uh, company crew truck and you don't see one pad of paper or one stack of forms, you see five or six. So there's paper service tickets and there's paper JSAs and there's paper um, payroll forms and there's paper expense reports and there's paper inspection forms. And so it was like, I'm not gonna take one of those pads of forms away. Whatever we do has gotta be able to do everything. So that was kind of the first criteria. And then the second criteria is I didn't want whatever we use to have to dictate I didn't want to have to, um, you know, be aligned with the workflows in a certain application. I wanted to put my workflows in the application. And then the third thing is I, I, it, it had to be very field useful, had to be easy to use by the guys in the field. And my criteria was always, you know, the, the guys that are on the brake handles of our pulling units. That is always the question I ask myself is, is one of the guys who's on the brake handle of one of our pulling units going to be able to use this. And I ran into a lot of things that <laughs> were obviously designed by software people <laughs> <laughs> trying to make, as I used to call it, cute software. Um, and I just couldn't find anything that that met those three criteria. And that was kind of, that kind of gave rise to the the genesis of, of Clergistics. And so that's, that's what we built. We built a, a really flexible, really configurable platform uh, our goal is to take all the paper that's filled out in the field away. Um, we generally do it kind of one at a time, um, but we, we, you know, our goal is to get all the paper out 
and uh, you know we, we manage the workflows of that information, ultimately dumping that information into a backend system, and whether that's an ERP, a payroll, a business intelligence system, et cetera. Invoicing, um, yeah. In, yeah, invoicing, you know, the whole nine yards. So uh, that is what we do. And, you know, we, we've seen some really nice results. Right on the website here, uh, Jeremy, it says, uh, hashtag paper is the problem. <laughs> That's been, that. He's been rocking that for a while, I actually. Been, I love that thing. So <laughs> I have one, of the, one of the challenges I think, at least I perceive in trying to get the handshakes between all the different service providers and the operators and all this together is you, you kind of have to, I guess it's kind of like trying to sell uh, Tesla a car when there's no charging stations. You kind of have to have them both move together. So you have to sell both sides. Yep. Is that is that one of your big challenges, getting both sides to agree? Yeah, it, it is. Um, but I'll tell you that we are what we are finding is we're finding a lot of appetite um, so, you know, we're being approached from both sides, especially the service company approaching their operators and going, Hey, we've installed Cleargistics and you can, and we give everybody the option because I know the one way to get thrown off location is to tell the company man what he has to do. <laughs> <laughs> he loves not doing that. Um, and so we'll, we'll have our, our, our folks in the field approach the company man and go, look, we've adopted this digital system. Um, here's how now you can um, uh, approve tickets, and and we uh, we actually you know we'll have the our, the field folks for our customers actually send us information so we can we can reach out to them directly. Um, but we have built a proprietary digital stamping technology inside of our system. So if the company man says, hey, we you know yeah that's great, but I've got to fill out some things, we can have them do that while they're signing it and a big benefit for them is they don't have to carry around the stack of tickets anymore because everything gets emailed to them in a PDF um, and they can manage all of their work digitally um, as well. I mean, so look, if, if I were you, I think, you know, paper is the problem is good. I might create another hashtag. The dog ate my field ticket. <laughs> dog yeah. ate my field ticket. I like that. <laughs> might have to name this episode that, but to me, it's, it's so logical, Steven. And I think it's probably why we're seeing more companies popping up. I just yep. saw another one the other day out of Houston. I don't know if it's a Silicon Valley back thing or what, but you're just seeing these companies pop up because it is, it is so logical Mm -hmm. that you need to get away from paper, especially at the point of transaction, because the delays and the ability to, you know, they call it DSO, right? Yep. Day sales outstanding from, from actually completing the, the job to getting paid is a big deal. And yep. in a down market, you need that money even sooner or you're not going to be solvent as right. the, the service company. Yeah, so I guess right. my question for you is with all of these new companies popping up, you guys have been around for a little bit. Mm -hmm. What percentage of field tickets do you think are still being done via paper like oh, versus electronic my my guess would be 75 percent plus wow i see i would have thought it was like 60 percent no. at this so that's no. why people are coming in okay. <laughs> see, this yeah i'm always i've been on a rant for a long time i know a lot of people want to you know all right the oil and gas industry is behind and technology and i've always said i don't think people really it's not that much but when i had a fence put in my backyard six weeks ago Mm -hmm. Never touched a piece of paper. Yep. How, right, of course. It's it's like how, even in 2015, when this is an embryonic idea by you, mm -hmm. Stephen, 
how, why yeah. wasn't there something out there that you could lay your hands on? It seems like it should be there. Well, and, and so the, you know, one of the things that you, you run into is the fact that, you know, for, for a long time, the operators viewed the system, the process is working well because it delayed them from having to pay for services that were performed. Yeah, right. So got lost. we've got balance sheet flow. And, you know, I'm not saying anybody did this intentionally, but, you know, most of the operators run on 30 or 60 or 90 day terms to yep. pay your invoices. But it wasn't uncommon. Again, having sat in the CFO of an old field service company's chair, wasn't uncommon at day 89 for all of a sudden the operator to say that something on the ticket had gotten denied. Um, And that we had to go back and research and resubmit. And oh, by the way, the clock starts over again. Um, So it it is then a balance sheet item for the operators for a long time. But what I will tell you is that we see that philosophy changing. We see that mindset changing. And here's why. Because what the operators are coming up against is they're going, hold on. Yeah, I understand I ain't got to pay for it for a while, but I also can't see that information for that same amount of period, for that same period of time. So the information that I can see is 30, 60, 90 days old. And so what really I'm doing is I am managing my company with 30, 60, 90 day old information. And why am I doing that? Because all of my service companies and contractors are all writing down so have, on a piece of paper. You have no idea what your accruals are going to be. I mean, no you, idea. You, well, you have it's to make all a guess. You have to make accruals. Yeah. And so if you had a real-time system, you don't need accruals because you know what your costs were. You know what your costs were yesterday That's funny. because they've been documented digitally, they've been approved digitally, and you can see it. And so more and more operators are coming around to going, wait a second. You know, we are in an extremely low interest rate environment. The value of the information is greater than the value of the float on that AR. So we want to be able to run our businesses in real time without having to guess about what's going on. And that's more important for us than, you know, pushing somebody for 60 days, 90 days, whatever on their AR. Right. And not to mention early pay discounts, right? Yeah. As a means of, hey, yeah. here's a carrot. We'll give you 2% sure. off if you pay us a little bit earlier. Yep. And some companies are just like, we don't care about that at all. We pay net yeah. 60, no matter Correct. what you say, we need to be paid. You Correct. need to be paid on. Right? Yeah. I, uh, I saw, you know, you, you mentioned that you've got other people that are, that are kind of coming into our space. Um, I actually saw someone give a presentation that was saying, you know, and we can reduce your DSO to five days. And I was like, that's great. How are you going to get Diamond back to pay you in five days? <laughs> just, you want to stay on that, uh, on this project? You're going to wait 60 days, buddy. Right. And I, you know, and I, you know, and I, I tell people all the time, I said, I can't do anything about how fast Diamondback pays you. What I can do something <laughs> yeah. about is I can do something about how quickly you can get an approved invoice into their system. That is what I can do. And so one of our, one of the case studies we have on our website we reduced the company's DSO from 110 days to 50. Um, I mean, so. of, you know, kind of getting everything digital and getting all the information moving. That's pretty cool. The, you know, it's funny as a, as a vendor, sometimes we have to deal with service companies also, and you would think that service companies would be more sensitive to, you know, paying on time. But I've, yep. I found that 
some of the larger service companies that I will not mention because we're still working with them, <laughs> they, they, they can draw some stuff out for pretty oh, yeah. long times. Oh, yeah. yeah. They've learned from these operators. Yeah. Yep. They, they definitely have. But, the, you know, the service company business is, is an interesting one because, you know, most of your costs are the, the you know, the guys that come in every morning um, and the, yeah. the ladies that come in every morning. So you're paying those folks, you know, weekly. And then you're waiting for, you know, 60, 90 days to get paid um, from your customers. And so that is definitely an interesting dynamic to uh, the service company business. You know, it's it, this brings me back a tiny bit because uh, my first, and Tim, I, you probably know this, but at the Denver, uh, I think it was Energy Tech Showcase 2019. Um, I was there. I, <laughs> Oh, you were there? Yeah, I think you were there. I remember that could have been when we actually met at uh, yep, Rock Bottom. I think it was. Yep, I think it was. I, Colin McClellan came up, came in the back, and I filled in for Jake because his wife was giving birth like that day. And we recorded two podcasts. One uh, was with Peter Flanagan of Ubi Terra. Peter Flanagan also was the founder of Oildex. Mm-hmm. Oh, so the concept of electronic invoicing had hatched a long time ago and was fully in place well before this whole field ticketing optimization concept became a thing. Yeah. Which yeah. to me almost seems a little bit backwards, right? Like you'd think you'd want to correct and get estimates on what the hell's going on in the field yes. yeah. before actually figuring out the payment piece. Correct. But it's well, gone the other way. The payment happens and then you kind of backtrack and what did the field ticket look like? Yeah. Well, from, from our perspective, um, the invoice is something that holds things up. And I'll, and I'll give you an example. So, you know, I mentioned the, the company I worked for in Midland, you know, we had pulling units. So we'd get on location and we'd do a job for the operator. And that job may last three, four, five, six, you know, 60 days. Well, the operator's invoicing convention was that you get all the tickets for that job and you put all those tickets on one invoice. Well, if, I'm, if my crew's there for seven days, that's seven days of black hole that delay. no information's coming out of. And it's yeah. seven days of delay. And so we think that invoicing convention is one of the things that holds up the efficiency of the, you know, field service to cash cycle. And so we, you know, from a ticketing perspective, if you've got a uh, filled out and approved ticket, um, why do you need to batch your tickets to send an invoice? Now, 50 years ago, that was probably a great idea because that was the only way you could keep stuff straight from cost, from a costing perspective. But with today's modern tools and modern ERPs, you don't need to do that anymore. Um, you know, that ticket goes to this particular job and this particular cost code. Um, so that necessity for those invoicing conventions we, you know, frankly, we think that is some of the things that are holding up the, uh, that process in the oil field. Yeah, by that. That makes sense. So I want to go back to your back and forth to Midland thing here. Yeah. Um, it just, it, it still baffles me. You're traveling that far. So you obviously you're, you're going through love field or Houston oh, yeah. hobby pretty much yep. every time, you know, and I've always said that, you know, the, the last place I want to be is on the last flight out of any of the Dallas airports on oh, any given God. day because all the all of the chaff just 
yeah. gets pushed back to the last <laughs> one. And and I don't know. I'm trying to remember when Love Field got renovated, but getting stuck in Love Field at one time was not a place you wanted to be. Yes, very true. So, you know, so what was you know you're you're obviously you're very experienced with Southwest Airlines, but you know, you got any stories of Love Field that would be kind of fun? Yeah. So, you know, that, that flight to New Orleans was 1130 PM. So, um, you know, if, if you kept getting pushed back and delayed and stuff like that, you were on the 1130 flight that didn't land in New Orleans until like, uh, 1245. So, uh, that was generally not a fun flight, but yeah, the, the, one of my favorite Midland or my favorite Midland travel stories is there was some, some really bad, and this is, this is in new love field. Um, there was a really, really bad winter event. This is a few years ago. Um, and so I was traveling, I was traveling back to New Orleans and, uh, you know, got all the messages, Hey, get to the airport early. So I, I got there as soon as I could. And as soon as the glass doors at the bottom of the new love field kind of parted as I was walking up, all of a sudden you heard this like noise. And it's like that, what is that? You know, it's kind of something that was like background. And it was like, what is that? And as I got into the airport a little bit more, it just kept getting louder and louder <laughs> and louder and louder. And so just I go a buzz? up to, yeah, it was just like, like that's a good, a great analogy, like a bunch of bees buzzing, like a beehive. And so I go through security and it's just, it's there, you know, nothing in security looks out of place. Well, I take, you know, you get through security, you take the escalator upstairs and I look out and all I saw was cheerleaders as far as the eye could see. Were cheerleaders? they cheerleaders? cheerleaders? And so then I walk down cause it's a, it's a T. So I walk down to the end of the T. I look to my right. All you can see is cheerleaders. I look to my left. All you could see was cheerleaders. So there was a national. They weren't cheering, were they? No, there was a national cheerleading competition, and all of these flights had gotten delayed. It turned out my flight had gotten delayed too. So, um, and for eight hours, I was at Love Field, and these are enthusiastic young ladies, and they talked pretty loudly. They were practicing cheers. They were oh. it. The noise in the place. I had, so I had, I had like two calls to make. I had to go find a corner and sit down <laughs> on the floor and face the corner. Like I was, like I was punished and covered my head so I could at least try to That's understand awesome. the person who was, who I was talking to. And it was one of the just craziest events from a travel perspective I have, I have ever had in my life. Oh, and I was on a, I was on a flight that uh, that filled up with smoke also coming out of Ooh. the Love Field. That so what was, time did you get out of there? I mean, you said an eight-hour well, delay. So. Yeah, for that um, uh, for that trip, I think my flight home left at, I think I got to the airport at like two. My flight out left at like 10 by the time the weather yeah. cleared. Okay, sounds fun. Sounds yeah. fun. That's uh, <laughs> that's something else. You know, I, I it brought me thinking back to uh, – one of my trips to Midland, this must've been 2015, 2016. And you know, it, it's a fine line between how much you're willing to expense. Like the direct Denver to Midland <laughs> United flight is great. Little, little puddle jumper hour and 40 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, never, never a delay. It's perfect. 
But the other alternatives are either go through Dallas, and we know how that could potentially go, wind shear capital of the world, Mm -hmm. or go through Vegas. So typically I'd be like, all right, I'll go through Vegas, right? There's never any weather issues in Vegas. And one of the times I flew out to Vegas and it's just started the delay to Midland started coming delay, delay. I'm like, you know, it wouldn't be the worst thing if I had to stay over Vegas, started started rooting for the flight to be canceled. Right. (laughs) Come on. I don't, I'm not here. I don't need to go to Midland. I'm just going to stay here. Instead it was like a four hour delay and ended up having to go to Midland anyway. So, Oh yeah. Yeah, I feel your patience. Yeah, especially you, you learn how to not gamble all your money away too when you didn't even plan on being in the airport for that long sure. in, in uh, McCarran. Now, this is uh, this is good stuff, Stephen. So I'm, I'm curious, for a company like Cleargistics, it, it, to me, it's such a logical bolt-on yeah. to an ERP system, yeah. to an electronic invoicing system. Mm-hmm. What, what is the future for you guys? Are you guys going to branch out and, and acquire or build electronic invoicing? Do you think it's ultimately like merger acquisition with another company who's doing back office stuff? Just because for me, the alignment seems so logical, or is it we just sort of keep going and, and doing what we're doing since 75% of the industry is still paper in the field? Yeah, we, um, you know... The space that we want to own in the marketplace is the space between the field and the office. Um, and we think that's a really, really valuable space. You know, during the, the uh, cable TV heyday, you know, everyone called it the last mile. They wanted to own the wire that was actually going into the customer's house. And that's what we're building. We're building a company that we want to own that last mile. We want to own the place where that user is entering digital information into our platform out in the field, um, because that has a lot of value um, for us. Now, uh, kind of where do we branch out after that? Um, you know, you guys have heard me say that, uh, you know, we think invoicing um, is in the current invoicing process, these are part of the problem. Um, it's part of what delays the process. And uh, we think that using our solution, um, you know, tickets should be the new invoices and tickets can be the new invoices. So a lot of the necessity of the infrastructure that has been built up around invoicing, um, you know, tickets become your invoice and you're in essence invoicing every day as you finish your work um, and uh, everything gets approved. So, you know, that is, you know, from a, from an oil and gas perspective, you know, that is how we, that is how we see the world. Um, you know, we, we currently don't have any desire to be in oil and gas ERP. Um, there's a lot of good ones out there. Um, we would like to be the front end for a bunch of them. Um, so, and really play almost a Switzerland view in the field. Um, because, you know, we, we do think that, you know, and as we've seen, pressure can come from the operators as well. And so when the operators ask our customers, our service company customers, hey, we need this following information from you, it's like, spec it out and send it to us and we'll make sure you get it. Um, so, you know, we don't, we don't have to use your Mr. Operator or Mrs. Operator's ticketing system. You just tell us the information you want and we'll get it to you. So that's, you know, that's where we're going in the oil field. At the same time, you know, what we have built has a lot of different capabilities to it. And we're involved in projects from, you know, it, it's, it's crazy, but this week I've talked to companies uh, in the Middle East, uh, talked to companies in Scotland, 
uh, had a conversation with a gentleman in Taiwan um, and had a conversation with a gentleman in uh, Anchorage, Alaska. Um, so the, the, the need for what we have built, uh, it can be used to do a whole lot of different things. And it's fun talking to folks about kind of different uses than even we may have thought about um, when we were designing the system. So that that is interesting. I initially sitting here thinking about, you know, this ticketing system or, you know, to get the, the field tickets. I was thinking this is primarily a U.S. problem. I would think, you know, I didn't expect, uh, you know, all right, we're going to be off in some other place, you know, talking in the Middle East. That's yep. interesting that they'd have that same issue. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it is a, not only is it an oil field industry or worldwide problem, it's a worldwide problem in general. So the, the, the completing of paper tickets and forms out in the field um, is a, you know, multi-industry. Um, there's a lot of different problems and uh, in, in a lot of different industries that are caused by collecting uh, information on paper. Yeah. I mean, it's a logistics issue as much mm-hmm. as anything. It does, it's not, I mean, oil and gas is where we all live and where we all play, right. but, but I fundamentally do understand that things that are on the outside, if you're delivering a product and something was estimated and you're not capturing this data in real time or electronically, you're just doing it wrong. Correct. That's correct. Yeah. And again, that, that information component, you know, there's, there's been a lot of things that have come out of COVID. Um, in our opinion, one of the positive things to come out of COVID has been the information component of the transaction is being more and more appreciated by multiple players in the industry. Um, and so we've got the information. We've got the guy who has the towel, the, 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 the lady who has the tablet in their hands um, and is entering in data um, of what happened, um, et cetera. Um, so we've got that information. And so there are folks that are actively looking for that information as quickly as they can get it, both on the operator side and on the service company side. All right. I want to bring this full circle where we started. So, you know, in our pre-show notes here, we've got, you know, LSU, Yankees, Saints fans. Okay. (laughs) That's pretty good. Um, And you've also been to a number of different sporting events and I I don't want to have you list them all because there's a quite a few listed here, but what's your number one sporting event that you have attended, not watched, but you know, you have attended and been a part of which one. Boy, good, good question. So I'm a, I'm a diehard LSU fan. Um, And when we won the national championship in 03, um, beating Oklahoma and Heisman Trophy winner Jason White, who we showed the Superdome floor to on a number of occasions. Oh yeah, nonstop. Um, that <laughs> in was New Orleans. Sing- in New Orleans. That was the single most nervous I have ever been. I think at any point in time in my life because we had the we we had the team to win. And it's like, we have got to do this. And I was just, it was, it was an incredible time. It was an incredible game. I was literally spent after the game. Just, I, I was a bundle of nerves, but we, we pulled it out. And that was a, uh, a euphoric feeling. You know, that's the way I felt after the uh, seven overtime game. 
<laughs> oh, all right. Bringing it back. I was, on the, I was, on, the, I was on the other side of that, Tim. <laughs> oh, yeah. oh, it, it was, we were tailgating at that game, and we left uh, midway through the third quarter to get back to Houston at oh, a decent wow. time. And by the time I got back to Houston, we were listening on the radio, and we couldn't. We got back and watched five, six, and seven overtime in our house. Yeah, I was so that that 03 champ. I'm a, I'm, I'm a little superstitious as well. Um, so that 03 championship game, I wore I wore one of my LSU hats that we had never lost when I had this hat. Oh and so the tickets that we got were we had two sets of tickets, one great seats, one good seats. And so we agreed and we had four of us. We agreed that two of us would would start in one set of seats and then we'd switch at halftime. So everybody, I think my wife and my wife was, was sitting with me. You know, I think my wife told everybody, hey, Elsie's never lost when Stevens had that hat on. So every time something happened well in the game or good in the game, everyone would come over and rub my hat. So I would have 40 people come over <laughs> and just rub my hat. And so it, it's midway that. through the second quarter. And I, I text my brother and my dad and I said, we are good sitting where we are. <laughs> yeah, don't move. <laughs> Don't be moving told, around and chinking yeah, it. Yeah, I told people I say we're, we're going to sit all the way down there. No, 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 you can't go. We got to, we got to, we got to have the hat here. We got to have the hat here. So, uh, all good stuff. <laughs> oh, I love it, man. Yeah, sports is the great uniter. And I, I was yeah. talking to a good friend of mine about this recently. Um, I feel like it would, I, you really, for coming from COVID, realized what a privilege it is mm-hmm. to go to a sporting event because yep. not being able to go for so long yep. and now going back, I'm like, I will happily spend $14 for your, mm-hmm. you know, Coors Light yep. <laughs> draft right now. No, no problem. I'm sick of drinking beer on my couch and watching yes. these games. So let's, yeah, let's Coors get Light, this though. back. Can't do Coors Light. Yeah. See how smooth, baby. <laughs> but anyway, Steven, this was, this was a bunch of fun. Really appreciate you um, coming on. And uh, where can people find more about your company and product? Uh, uh, cleargistics.com. C-L-E-A-R-G-I-S-T-I-X.com. Hashtag the dog ate my field ticket. Hashtag paper is the problem. <laughs>